Okay, it is on. It's on. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Let me rip out my notes so you don't hear me. <laughs> don't hear that in the video? Yes. It, it, I heard it a couple times in the other video, but... Oh, did you? Recording. Not like a lot, but a little bit. Okay. Um, shit, what did I do with my phone? Oh, okay. Okay, ready? Yes. This is Holly. And this is Casey. And welcome to episode number two of what? The Spook. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> we hope you guys enjoyed our first episode. We are so happy to finally get up and running because it's been something that's been in the works for quite a few months now, actually. It actually took a lot longer than we were actually <laughs> planning, but we wanted to do it right the first time. So It's actually a lot of work. Like, yes, wow. it is. But it's yeah. super fun and we're having fun doing it. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and we hope you guys enjoy our efforts. Because we put, like, a lot of effort into these episodes. Yeah, we really did. It is. I about lost my shit earlier because I thought I deleted my notes for this episode off of my iPad, like, five minutes before we started this. And uh, it was bad. But there Yeah. They're still there, so I'm okay. Well, that's good that they're still there because I would have cried too for you. But yes, we're trying something out this time. We're not actually recording it together because we're busy adults and it's raining and we just neither of us want to go outside today, so <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty shitty outside. So we're recording it through Skype. Which took forever for us to figure out because we are not good with technology. Well, that and our computers are both ancient though. So. Yes, we have very old computer. I think I got mine in like 2013. Me too. We both. We remember we after college. Yeah, because we attempted college, but Poor let's life. not talk about that. Today, our case is the case of Kitty Genovese. Yeah, her full name was Catherine Kitty Genovese, and she was born July 7, 1935, in Brooklyn, New York. Her parents were Italian Americans. Their names were Vincent and Rachel Genovese. Her father ran a store called Baby Ridge Coat and Apron Supply while her mother was a homemaker. Oh, wow. That's pretty awesome. That name, though, Baby Ridge Coat and Apron Supply, did they just sell coats and aprons? Like, well, it gets to the point. I mean, I guess it is the thick or 30s at that time. Okay. Anyway, she had four younger siblings, and they lived in a nice row house in a working-class Irish and Italian community. Um, Kitty was known as a popular student in school, and she was very energetic, often being, like, often being called a chatterbox. She graduated. Oops, I dropped my iPad. She graduated in a class of 712 from an all-girls school, which are called Prospect Heights, and she was voted class cut-up and was described as being charming and attractive. So, what does class cut-up actually mean? Because when I wrote that in my notes, I was like, oh, I don't even know what that is. I think basically just saying she was, like, awesome? I don't know. Yeah, because 
from the Cambridge English Dictionary, cut up means to behave in a very active and silly way to make people laugh. So she was like the class clown. Yeah, I think basically what it was. Okay, that makes but, sense. Uh, sorry, you guys. Is that your dog? Yeah, <laughs> Titus, stop. I hear your tags and they're annoying me. I kicked my funny. animals out of the room, so. I'm, I'm, I'm in my kitchen because the rooms upstairs don't have heat or air conditioning to go up to them because my house is so old. Right. So it's just floor vents, so it's either going to be super hot or super cold and. Hey guys, she has the creepiest floor vent I have ever seen. Oh my god, yeah. It is so creepy. <laughs> like I'm my cats, they will lay sometimes and they'll just stare down it for like ten minutes at a time. I'm pretty sure they're trying to summon the devil or something. It looks like the devil can come out of that floor vent because yeah, well, it actually, is huge and scary and dark. The way I'm sitting at my bar right now, my feet are hanging over one of the creepy air vents with the bigger swath in it. So if you guys no. hear me scream and like hear something, something reached up and grabbed me. Oh, don't say that. I'm going to have nightmares. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, Kitty graduated high school in 1953. And after that, her parents actually moved to New Canaan, Connecticut. But Kitty didn't follow them. Instead, she moved to New York to start life on her own, which was a pretty big deal back then. I mean, do it now, but especially back then for a girl to just go to a big city like that all on her own. I think it's pretty awesome. I always want to go to New York. Yeah, don't forget we're going during Christmas sometime. We are. Eventually, we will go to New York, guys. Hopefully. No, we will. And then we're going to go to the Cecil Hotel, too. Then we're going to yeah. go to Chicago and go see all the creepy old buildings in Chicago. Because Chicago might actually be my new favorite city now. Yeah, we have to make a trip up there sometime. That'd be fun. Okay. So, Kitty did not follow her family. Do you know why she didn't follow her family? Because she wanted to start life on her own. She wanted to open her own Italian restaurant. That's pretty badass. Yeah, so she worked a few brief jobs, like as a secretary, a waitress, a hostess, and a barmaid. And then she finally landed a bar manager position at EB's 11th Hour in Hollis, Queens. And she worked like a lot of double shifts and was determined to earn that money to open her Italian restaurant. And she was, she sounded like she would have gotten what she wanted if somebody hadn't decided to be a dirtbag. I know it sucks because she had like a bright future. She was really hardworking and motivated. Really ambitious and just seemed like a wonderful person. Like I want to be friends with her. I know. She had her life straight, and then somebody ruined it. Yeah, it seems to be the way it works. Yep. <laughs> okay, so besides working, she had a girlfriend. Yeah. And her name was Mary Ann Holly Dylanco. I think it'd be Dylanco. Okay. And she met her at a nightclub? An underground lesbian bar. That's pretty cool. In Greenwich Village called Swing Rendezvous. Oh. Interesting name. I know I wouldn't have thought it was an underground lesbian bar from the names of it or from the yeah, from the name of it, but it seems more like a, a swingers club. Yeah, like that one in Fort Wayne that they're trying to yeah. shut down. Yeah, they're like the one in Fort Wayne. Yeah. Okay, we're not gonna go into that. <laughs> um <laughs> 
Take it away, Kathy. <laughs> okay, so her and her girlfriend were awesome together, and they decided to move into an apartment together in, uh, see, in Queens, right? Yep, in a place, a section of Queens called Key Gardens. And it's supposed to be very safe to live there, like low crime rates and pretty decent place. Yeah. It, yeah, they lived in a second floor apartment, and these, these apartments are like, 14 of them, I believe, and they were above shops and stuff. So that seems like, interesting. Yeah, it seems like it was like a really close-knit community from some of the sounds of it later. In this right, everybody knew everybody in the building. Yeah, she had friends in the building, obviously her girlfriend, which they actually they met on March 13, 1963. Okay. The, yeah, the event of this unfortunate case take place on March 13th, 1964. So, just to add a little depressing note in there for you guys. So, Hmm. one of the reasons why this case became so popular was because of the media. Yeah, media really has such a big effect, and people don't even realize it half the time. They're like, oh, it's just the media. I'm like, no, it's just the media. Like, yeah, it, it just really, it really has such a massive effect. You don't think about it, but it affects what you think of, how you think of it. It just is insane. It really is. Yeah, I know. The case drew in attention due to the fact that there were so many witnesses, supposedly, to the crime, and um, eventually that they did disprove this claim. It's not true. I mean, there was a couple witnesses, but not... See, they were saying that she had... How many witnesses? She had, like, a handful. 37, 37 witnesses, they claimed. Yeah, because at first, her murder didn't garner much media attention. It just received a short four-paragraph blurb in the New York Times on March 14th. But two weeks later, a piece was published with the headline... 37 who saw murder didn't call the police and the writer of this piece Martin Gonsberg piece of shit no. um <laughs> he just his back turned out to be nothing more than gross exaggeration but I mean I guess it wasn't a horrible thing that he made that because it kind of really brought the bystander effect into life right. it brought light to her case and, yeah, and there's a lot more popular in the media but yeah. he did get criticized for all the errors in his article. Yeah, because it's, I mean, just, dog, what are you doing? Um, it's really just a sad thing that such a horrific, like, horrific event was capitalized upon for his own gain. Like, you know he wasn't writing that to bring attention to the bystander effect. Oh, no, it was all for, get his name out there, more money for him, and it was. But the bystander or Genevieve effect, it, um, we're actually going to be doing a mini episode about that specifically because it's just such a such a big thing. It's actually very interesting if you guys look it up. Like, I didn't even know it was such a thing until this case. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's insane, honestly. But her murder also has been credited with bringing about the 1968 nationwide adoption of the 911 system. Because before you have to call the operator and like press zero, and it's just a long, drawn out process, which I'm sure you guys all know in an emergency, every second counts. It really does, because 
she might have been saved if police would have arrived sooner because the guy who killed her left her there and then came back to finish the job. Yeah. So, I guess we should probably get into what actually happened to her. Yeah, stop giving hints and stuff. <laughs> stop giving the spoilers away. <laughs> okay, but on their first anniversary, March 13, 1964, Kitty left work around 3 a.m. and headed home. She parked by the rail station and started walking toward their apartment. And she, obviously, she's excited to get home and get out of the cold and see her girlfriend because it was their first anniversary. And it was just exciting. I think anniversaries are exciting anyways. Yeah, they are. They're so exciting. You get to spend special time with your loved one, and it's just a lot of good memories, usually. But yeah, Kitty was walking. She heard footsteps behind her, and it kind of, obviously, you're out at 3 a.m., you hear somebody walking up behind you, you're going to take off running. Yeah, I'd be creeped mm-hmm. out. <laughs> I know, Kitty started running. But her attacker quickly caught up to her, and he stabbed her with a serrated hunting knife. She screamed, oh God, I've been stabbed. A neighbor heard the commotion. He stuck his head out his window. When he saw what was happening, he yelled at the attacker, telling him, leave that girl alone. It kind of, it startled the attacker and he took off running. Kitty attempted to make it to an apartment where her girlfriend was sleeping, but she collapsed in a doorway at the bottom of the stairs, which I believe she got stabbed in front of the apartment building and she had to walk around to the back, which is where she collapsed in the stairway. Yeah, from what I was reading, it says she was crawling on the ground and made it to the rear of her apartment building before she collapsed. Yeah, she was, like, right at the bottom of the stairs. She was so close. And then, of course, ten minutes later, nobody knew she was down there, and the attacker came back, stabbed her, raped her, and stole her money. He stole $49 that she had in her wallet, and he just left her to die. That's pathetic. Yeah, so at this point, Kitty was still alive, but just barely. She was obviously in pretty rough shape. And um, her neighbor, Sophia, Sophia her. Farrar? Farrar. I don't know. Sorry, Sophia. Farrar? I sound like a lion. Rar. <laughs> Sorry, Sophia. We don't know how to pronounce her last name. Anyways, the lovely <laughs> Sophia found her and screamed for someone to call the police, of course. Yeah, and she kind of stayed by her side because she was friends with her, which, I mean, like I said, seems like such a close-knit community. It really does. I wish I had a neighbor like that. They'd probably just leave me out there to die. <laughs> Mine too, but yeah, 4 a.m. and 4 a.m., more than 30 minutes after the original attack, and yeah. they finally got through to the police. Um an NYPD patrolman, Clarence Cron, showed up along with an ambulance, and Kitty was quickly rushed to Queen General Hospital. But unfortunately, she wouldn't make it there, though. She passed away from her injuries on route. On the way to the hospital? Yeah. But yeah, um, so her girlfriend had to identify her body the day of their anniversary. How depressing is that? Right. Well, didn't the cops, like, come and knock on her door shortly after to let her know? Like, she didn't even know what was going on yet. Yeah, she was still, she was sleeping. So I think Sophie told them, hey, you know, this is Kitty Genovese. Her girlfriend is sleeping in their apartment right now. So when the police went to Mary and... Kitty's apartment, because it's her girlfriend's name, Mary. Did we say that? I think so. Marianne. Um, Detective Mitchell Sang. 
questioned Mary around 7 a.m. And at the time, Mary had a other had another neighbor over, Carl Ross. And at the time, they were drinking alcohol, probably because she was trying to cope with her loss of her girlfriend. I did not know that part. Yeah, she, her and her neighbor were drinking alcohol, which I don't know. I feel like maybe I wouldn't do that, but everybody um, coped differently. If somebody came and told me that Taylor had been stabbed to death while I was like 50 feet away, yeah, I'd probably go off the deep end a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think that's why the cops originally said Mary was a suspect is because how she was acting afterwards. Yeah, didn't they get, like, a little derogatory with her, too? Yeah, they did. But, yeah, she was eventually ruled out. Um, oh, but the neighbor that she was drinking with did get arrested the night, or the morning. The morning that police came to her apartment to question her and her neighbor was there, he got arrested for... Um, being intrusive to the questioning and disorderly conduct. What? Yeah. Okay. And they thought that neighbor was a suspect too because um, her body was found at the bottom of the staircase leading to Ross's apartment. Oh. So they were and like, oh, that's kind of fishy, you know? Kind of weird. I mean, don't you hear? I mean, okay, I guess I get. Some people are really heavy sleepers. I mean, right. I, I probably wouldn't wake up something like that, but also. Right. And I we don't know. know if she was even able to, like, speak loudly at this point. Like, maybe she was really weak and. Yeah. And, I mean, it's easy enough to say that you would do something, but until you're in that situation, you don't know. Exactly. It just. It's something you don't know until you're in that situation and so many people just feel the need to speak out about that be like oh I would have done this I would have done that no you don't know right everybody copes differently and everybody handles each situation differently yeah it just yeah but anyway after her body was identified the autopsy kind the autopsy went through and the coroner noted 13 stab wounds and numerous defensive wounds so Kitty did not go down without fight. And they speculate that if someone had called the police or the call had gone through after the first attack, she may still be alive. Exactly. That's so sad. Which it is speculated later that people did try to call the police. But again, with the screwed up freaking 911 system they have, it just took too long to go through. And it was just too late by the time it did go through. Right. Well, going back to the police questioning Mary, did you see on like when you were researching her, Kitty's case and everything, that police were focusing on her sex life and talking about their relationship nonstop and interrogated her for six hours straight? I saw that. And it just, in today's society, you know, being, being a lesbian or being gay is not... Right, yeah, police wouldn't even bat an eye, but being in 1964, it was still a little Right, but I just thought it was crazy that instead of asking her questions that actually matter, she well, they would rather ask 
Mary questions about her sex life with her girlfriend who just got murdered. Like, what the hell? It's like, let's find out who did this first, and then you can go back and question her. You can don't actually question her about that at all. That's her own own damn benefit. I didn't get Kitty murdered. Exactly. It's crazy. But yeah, uh, six days after her attack, Winston Mosley, a 28-year-old husband and father, came forward and admitted to three murders. Annie Mae Johnson, Barbara Crowlick, and Catherine Kitty Genovese. Um, he also convinced <laughs> regroup. <laughs> he also confessed to numerous burglaries and rape. He was originally sentenced to death on June 15, 1964, but this hearing was later reduced to 20 years to life. Which, I, again, I need to educate myself more on the legal process because it just seems the I don't it just seems weird like why not just I know people have gotten the death penalty for like one murder before and yet here he committed three and numerous burglaries and rapes and he doesn't get it yeah I know that's kind of crazy I don't know why they decided to reduce his sentencing but whatever. I didn't find anything about it but he did escape from the prison Attica in 1968 and was holding hostages in Buffalo when he was recaptured. And for that, he received an additional 30 years. Uh, oh, he that's was, crazy. I know, isn't that nuts? Um, he yeah, did not. He I wonder how he escaped. I don't know. I don't know, but he um, was denied parole a whopping 18 times before he died March 28, 2016. 18 oh, wow. times. So they're just like, hell no, you're not getting out. Keep your ass in there. Well, but, good. Um, he killed, what, three people? Yeah, and he raped a lot of people. He's just a freaking shithole. Shithole. Yeah. He should have had a death penalty. That's bullshit. But anyways, I am not in the legal system, so I guess I really don't have a voice in that area. Yeah, but he was, um, remember when you wanted to be a paralegal? <laughs> I know. I'm glad I didn't. Okay. <laughs> Okay, but it's he was very um, interesting, but I'm glad I didn't. That'd be so boring. Um, okay, so back to Winston. He was 81 years old when he died and was one of New York's longest servant inmates. And right. Casey, why don't you tell them a little bit about who this shithead was? Okay, so Winston Mosley, he spotted Kitty at a traffic light. And he was parked by it, I guess. And that's when he followed her to his or her apartment. Supposedly, he was already looking for a victim. And he stated that he didn't have a motive, which I find kind of hard to believe. But I guess some people don't have motive. He kind of sounds like a serial killer if he killed three other people. I think after you kill more than one person, you are technically considered a serial killer. But I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. Right. And at the time, he was actually married and had three children, which is crazy to think about. And he had he didn't have any prior records or anything. Like his records were clean, no crimes, nothing, no prior arrests. Kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, he had he had dogs. Yeah, he was an animal lover. Like what the fuck? I don't. Well, maybe he was an animal lover, but like. He had dogs, so you better love them. Five German Shepherds. Oh my gosh, why German Shepherds? I mean, two kids, two sons, I think. Oh, well, I found on the... Maybe it was three. Never mind. History was three. I read wrong. (laughs) 
three kids, a wife, and five German shepherds. Um, yeah, so this guy, the way he got caught was because he decided to uh, steal. Okay, we're going to restart right there. The way Winston got caught was because police received a call about a suspected robbery, and they later found a TV in the trunk of Winston's car. Winston was then arrested and taken into the station where he confessed to robberies, rape, and the other two murders. Yes, yeah, six days the after the attack, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's when Detective John Tartag... I don't even know how to say his last name, guys. It's really I'm weird. Johnny Boy. <laughs> Detective Johnny Boy remembered witnesses at the crime of um, Kitty's crime scene reporting a white car at the scene, and Winston was driving a white caviar. So Winston had nothing to say about that when detectives questioned him about it, but then they noticed he had scabs on his hands, like battle wounds, I guess, because she fought back. And then they accused him of murder, and that's when he replied with information that only the killer would know. So they busted him right then, right there. And that's when he started confessing about everything. He was sentenced to death on June 15th, 1964, and Holly explained how that got reduced to a life sentence. He later claimed that a mobster, of all people, is the one who executed Kitty, and he was the getaway driver. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure why he thought that was, I don't know, a why good story. I don't believe that story at all. What the, usually mobster kills somebody for a reason. They owe them money. They made them yeah. mad. Kitty, just a hard-working girl just trying to live her life. Yeah, and it's kind of weird that it took him a while to come up with that story. Like, he didn't confess to that story right away, so. I know. Last and then Winston's son stated that he thinks the reason why Kitty was murdered by his father was because Kitty yelled racial slurs to him, which Winston was African-American, but, but nobody, I mean, like, Nobody witnessed her yelling. Nobody saw anything, heard anything, nothing like that. Yeah, and Kitty was a minority herself. Why would she be making racial slurs like that? Exactly. So I'm not sure if I believe that 100%, but that's just what Winston's son stated. So in 2004, on the 40th anniversary... What's going on out there? What? Why am I barking? Oh, that's Juno. Shut up, Juno. Okay, regroup again. Um, in 2004, on the 40th anniversary of Kitty Genovese's death, Mary Ann Delonco came forward and talked about Kitty publicly for the first time. She was interviewed on NPR Weekend Edition Saturday. In the interview, Delonco, who now lives in Vermont, revealed that her and Kitty were lovers. Which I'm. I guess that wasn't really public knowledge. Which is kind of weird because they lived together in an apartment. I mean, they could have been apartments or, yeah. They could have been, like, just 
roommates, I guess. But yeah, I guess it says some of the neighbors may have suspected that Kitty and Mary Ann were gay, but several reported that she was a. Okay. Some of the neighbors may have suspected that Kitty and Marianne were gay, but everyone says that they were friendly and smiling young women who they all liked. Aww. So, wow, that's weird. I didn't know that they didn't know. I guess I knew that, but didn't think it. Um, Kitty's well, murderer had no idea that she was a lesbian. He just, that, all, that night, just killed somebody, and he was certainly a sociopath. Well, I feel like... Back then, at that time period, a lot of people didn't want to come out yet just because of... Because of stigma. People would target them and just make their lives a living hell. Yeah. Oh. On the new page I'm on, it says, in 1968, Mosley raped a pregnant woman in her home when he escaped. He... Oh, my gosh. So, he escaped prison and then raped somebody? Yeah, while he... Probably while he was holding those people hostage. That's like Ted Bundy shit right there. That is. That's horrible. I mean, overall, this case is very sad. It did bring some important things to life. But like the bystander effect, which is awesome. 911. That's a big one right there. That is a massive one. But overall, I mean, we lost a beautiful woman that could have done some, she was doing something with her life. She could make a difference. She really was. She was very, very motivated and she just bright like, and smart and funny you just shouldn't have happened but it did unfortunately and it did bring to light a lot of things that can help save women from that situation now so make uh, sure you guys are always aware of your surroundings yes and if you hear somebody behind you turn around don't look back just Take off, take off, and start calling nine one one right oh. then because we all have cell phones nowadays. <laughs> like, hello. Um, I like how we had different advice for that. <laughs> what do you say? I had punch, turn around and punch him in the nuts. Punch! I wouldn't even turn around. And be like, fuck this! I'm out. That's why you carry a knife. You turn around and just shit. Well, I guess he had a knife too. Uh, don't oh. you remember the other day when you left me downstairs while you ran upstairs because you were scared. You know what? I knew it was your husband. You can, you can deal with him, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thank yeah, you thanks for- so much, guys. Yeah, thanks for those of you who have listened to our introduction and our other episodes. Can we have somebody listening right now? Yay! Hey, guys, we did make a Facebook and an Instagram. It's called What the Spook Podcast. Go check it out. Like us. Follow us. Give yeah, us some feedback. Know. I'm going to make a Twitter, too. It'll be the same. And we're going to try to get a website up and running. But in the meantime, we have quoted all of our sources. Um, I Yes, I found my information on the History Channel, actually. Yeah, and I found mine on biography.com and what's the other one? Skydancingblog.com, which is a funky name. Sounds cool, though. Thanks for the information, Skydancingblog. Yes, thanks so much, guys. <laughs> we are going to leave you with a quote from a very independent young woman, Kitty, and what she told her father when she moved. She told him, no man could ever support me because I make more than a man. 